Hi everyone, I'm super happy to welcome Maya Rose Craig. She is one of the youngest British people to be awarded an honorary doctorate. Uh, activist and campaigner, she founded uh, Black to Nature, focusing on minority communities. Uh, she's currently hosting a podcast, uh, Get Birding, on, no surprises here, on birding, with a host of uh, celebrities and conservationists. And we're here to talk about uh, birding, her life, and uh, what's happening in the world. So thank you, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Great. So I'm a real city dweller. And I kind of think in this maze that is London, we have, um, you know, some birds, these green spaces. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of not the same necessarily as getting out into the countryside and nature. I was wondering, could you give us a sense of the joy of watching birds in the wild, particularly for those of us who maybe haven't experienced it before or, or how it kind of came to be that uh, you became so passionate about this area of nature? Yeah, um, so I think like na nature's always played a very important part in my life. I've, my parents are bird watchers and my older sister was a bird watcher and they've, they've always taken me outdoors um, and I live in the countryside. Um, but I'm also half Bangladeshi and I, as I got older I, I really started becoming aware that there was just no one that looked like me um in the countryside out in nature and that was really upsetting and I think like like and that's kind of why I started doing activism really it was because of that magical feeling that I had when out in nature um so when I was little it was always very fun and very exciting and my parents were very good about making it into like a treasure hunt for me or something like that where we we're gonna go and find the next bird um but I think as I've gotten older, I've really, really gained an appreciation for just sort of the peace that you get when you're outside because you're separate from the stress of everyday life. You're separate from sort of the hustle and bustle of everything. It's just you and the outdoors. And I think that that's a really unique feeling that everyone should be able to appreciate. I guess in popular culture, there's been a strand of thinking that kind of makes fun of bird watching or birding and I guess there's there's been this sense so you mentioned it that it's been very kind of old white man dominated and maybe a bit anarchish mm -hmm. uh, I mean what do you might say to those who, who who might want to experience this joy you described earlier but but maybe the sense that this is not a community for them um I mean the funny thing is that the stereotypes aren't entirely wrong in that I can think of like a hundred people off the top of my head who like completely slot into that but that's just like one tiny probably quite fanatical subsection of a really large group of people and they are the ones that would go out and say I am a bird watcher but there's lots of people who would never really think of themselves that way who are in fact bird watchers like if you have some bird feeders up in your garden that you like watching sometimes you're a bird watcher if you notice the birds flying over as you you know walk to work you're a bird watcher and I think for me what like the word birder really means is just someone who is aware and appreciating the nature around them um, and I think that that's something that a lot of people enjoy when you peel that label away. So you your suggestion is actually we're much closer to it in everyday life than we might actually think. Definitely. But I also think that, um, you know, that, that stereotype does make people feel like they aren't green enough, if that makes sense. Like one of the reasons I started 
my podcast was just because a lot of people said that they felt a bit too intimidated to get into bird watching because everyone seemed to know like they knew everything and they didn't even know where to start um well I've always stuck more with the viewpoint that like you don't need to know the names or the latin names or the calls off by heart you just need to go out and appreciate it um but I also think there's so many different ways of enjoying nature in the outdoors that we don't really like traditionally think about in the UK um so you know I, I guess that typical way of engaging with nature is putting your binoculars on putting your anorak on going down to the local nature reserve and staring at some small brown birds for a few hours and I'm not gonna lie personally I do enjoy that but there are a lot of people who don't and one of the big things that um, my organization Black to Nature does is just sort of widen that perspective of what engaging with nature is in the first place if you're playing football with your friends in the park you're in the green space you're still engaging with nature if you're like I don't know feeding the pigeons during your lunch hour you know we might not think of them as nature but they are other animals and that's still nature and I think as soon as you broaden that perspective it takes the stress off and it makes you appreciate just how how much nature there is around you basically yeah I had a I had a moment like that earlier um earlier this year where was on the on the uh, banks of the river Thames which is not in London you don't sort of you know think about that but you can walk on the foreshore and there's all all sorts of nature around that even in in the middle of the city um I was wondering do you have any favorite I guess birding moments or experiences something which you kind of feel was kind of pivotal in uh, in finding your enjoyment here I mean, I think that there have almost been like, this is very corny, sorry, but genuinely, like, I think there have really been like a countless amount of moments that I have loved over the years that I think when I was a child, there was a real just wonder still um, when looking at everything. Like I loved watching a super rare bird that had flown across from America as much as I enjoyed watching the dunnocks hanging out in my garden um and I think that that was just really magical because everything about birds and nature was exciting to me um but I think like because so I'm um, sorry my my charity Black to Nature we run nature camps for kids mm-hmm. um from minority ethnic backgr- backgrounds and we're bringing them out into nature quite often for the first time ever and I think like as someone who's always spent time outdoors and always spent time in nature I think that really opened my eyes um as to how um just amazing what an amazing experience that is for people to be experiencing the countryside for the first time because a lot of these kids are having such a good time and they're again filled with that sort of wonder um that you are when you're a kid and I think like being able to relive that sort of childhood magic of being outdoors over and over and over with all of the um, kids that I work with is really special. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've noted the same in some uh, business people who I meet with, where if they do reconnect with nature into some way, it it often kind of changes the way they view things and you see the impact of, of, of what we do or our companies and things have on the world. And, and you can see that through kind of like reconnecting with, uh, with those elements around us. Um, so I learned some specific birding words recently, which I didn't know 
uh, existed or what they were. Uh, and I was wondering whether you could tell me from them from your point of view. So one is a kind of technical thing, which is tell me about ringing, because I believe this is something that you're qualified to do uh, from quite early on. And what is it and why is it important? Yeah, so ringing or banding in America um, is basically scientific study. Um, so what licensed ringers do is they catch the birds in some shape or form. They take lots of different measurements from them, like um, weight, like how much fat they have on them, um, how much muscle, how I don't know how long their wings are, how old they are, stuff like that. Um, and they they log all of that data and then they put a un a ring a metal band round the leg of this bird and it has a unique number on it and that means that when another ringer catches the bird at some point they'll be able to access all the data that we've logged about it before so basically we're building up this massive data database on information about birds and um you know we learn all sorts of interesting things about loads of different species for example it's been really important just in terms of figuring out where birds go when they migrate um which we know a lot less about than people think we do um but personally i i started it when i was very young i was nine when i first started going and just sort of watching and wanting to take part um and the personal appeal for me was just being able to physically handle wild animals and just see birds at a completely different perspective because obviously we're not hurting them or even particularly stressing them out um, when we're catching them but it means just for like five minutes or less um, I'm able to sort of look a wild bird in the eye um, and it's really special I really love it um, so in the UK you can get your license when you're 16 so as soon as I was 16 I got my ringing license um, and I've been doing lots of ringing since this morning I was actually doing um raven ringing i ringed um i think five different raven chicks this morning and it was really nice um so yeah excellent so uh, if you, uh, what can you tell us about migration or what i guess ringing has, has told us about that is there some unsolved mystery that you would you would think you know what it would be really great if someone solved this did you did you know that we don't know where these birds go or how they fly well, migration is just a bit weirder than people think it is. So, for example, th well, things that we would have thought historically have be that seem very obvious have actually been disproved. So, for ex um, if we talk about black caps, for example, they're a very they're a relatively common UK bird. You get them in hedges and gardens and just in the countryside, and you get ones that you get in the winter. And the assumption would be, oh, just like lots of other birds in the UK, they're here in the winter, they stay, they breed, they live here year round. But it turns out that there is a population of black caps that migrate to the UK every winter and then they leave. And there is a separate population of black caps that migrate to the UK every summer. So you've got weird things like that going on um, that we just never would have realised otherwise. But there also were just genuine mysteries so, for example, the cuckoo, which is like a very famous spring bird in the UK, um, for a really long time, we just had no idea where it was migrating to, what its migration route was. Um, and it was probably only 10 or 15 years ago that we finally found out that they're migrating to the Congo, of all places. And again, like we're discovering all of these things to do because of ringing. Um, That's amazing. I, I also I recall reading somewhere that 
we're not sure how birds do their complex navigation because you have birds who that they know they know where to go back nesting and they might they've never they've never been there before like if they're you know in their first year of life and you can you can you know partially confuse them if you move them from their nest and things and we're still discovering things about that i don't know if you know anything about that um i don't know like i'm not an expert or anything but i do know that bird navigation or just birds in general are really interesting like i think it's sort of a very very normal like human thing but it's always a human assumption that we are the cleverest and we have the skills and things like that but birds can do so many fantastic things and there's loads of different um hypotheses um so for example people would trying to figure out if birds are literally just using landmarks to figure out where they're going um some people think that it might be like magnetic forces that are basically creating like a little compass inside their head so they know where they're going um whether it's just like a generational thing they're showing each other the journey um we're not 100% sure there's loads of great ideas they might all be true um yeah I was I was reading I think just this week there was a paper out showing that um the crows crow family has human-like intelligence it's just we need to ask them the right kind of questions mm-hmm. we don't know how to speak in their language so to speak you know I love that take because I actually um for various reasons I ended up like researching quite a lot about ravens last spring and it was so interesting and it it was partially because there was a raven nest near my house um that suddenly popped up during lockdown now I, I was suddenly very interested about ravens and there were so many fun facts where I was like, these birds are so, so smart. Um, like, for example, even just the fact that ravens have fun, like they do things purely for enjoyment. I love that. Um, or, you know, they're sort of, they're social, the way that they interact with each other socially. But I think, like, the thing I found most interesting is the fact that ravens have been proven to use tools, um, which is interesting just because sort of, tools is one of the way that we as humans and maybe like chimps differentiate ourselves from other animals in terms of intelligence um so I don't know I just thought that was really interesting but corvids are brilliant they're great birds yeah it's really fascinating and so I'm going to put you on the spot here as well because I don't know necessarily you're going to know anything about this but I I realized I know nothing really about birdsong so I was wondering whether uh, I know birdsong sometimes they kind of used um, kind of for social learning and also kind of for communication. And is also one of the things that, that we hear around. Um, what would you what would you have me know about birdsong and why it happens or or anything about it? I also didn't know anything about birdsong until I did an episode on my podcast about it. Because Yay, I... so we should all listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like gen- genuinely, I didn't know that much before. I've never been like a birdsong person. I only knew a few songs. Um, but I was talking to someone who is a birdsong person and called Lucy Lapwing. And she was saying that um, a lot of the times, like especially during springtime, um, a, well, what we what we here as being very beautiful bird song is really a very sort of macho display from various birds as they all try to prove that they're the strongest and the most resilient and you know they're the ones that the female should go with um and they can get very very um territorial about it all um and it's the same with the dawn chorus which again we're like oh the dawn chorus is so beautiful but all these birds are like 
shouting over each other again trying to prove that they've made it through yeah. the night they're the loudest <laughs> they, were st- they were strong enough to last through the cold um and they're here to survive the next day um but one thing i did read about recently which i thought was really interesting was just talking about how scientists were measuring birds brain waves while they were sleeping and how the brain waves were doing the same as what they do when they are singing basically and these birds were dreaming about the songs that they sing or their calls that they make during the day, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Great. So I've got two more uh, birding uh, uh, phrases or, or nouns that I've heard about. Um, so what is it to uh, the expression lifer mean in birding? Um, so for lots of birders, um, birding is all about lists like not it not in that it's all about the list but it gets very competitive and they keep lists of what they've seen and what like they're aware of what they haven't seen and you keep like a country list and a local area list a world list um and like I said it's all very competitive and so a lifer is basically just a bird that you have never before seen in your life um so it's a life tick um a, a, a life um a, a new bird in your life I guess um but the sort of undercurrent to all that is like yes got another bird on my list on my list. Um, yeah. great and then the last phrase I heard um or read about was uh pish which I believe is a kind of sounds that some birders can make to attract birds or something like that yeah I would love to know where you've heard that because I've never even seen that word written down right yeah. And maybe made it up, like <laughs> doing my research on birding. <laughs> um, because maybe it's a myth. Is it a myth? Like... Oh no, it's a it's a real thing. But I I just I can't even do it very well. So this is going to be very embarrassing. But pishing is basically birders making a funny sound that makes the birds around you go, "What's that funny sound?" So they hop out into the open to try and figure out what that funny sound is. Um, and weirdly, there are not many sounds that do this. Pishing is one of the few that pretty much always works, at least with wow. certain types of work, birds. And this is going to be very embarrassing now. But it's basically like a psh, 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 like over and over, louder and quieter. And for some reason, it always gets the birds out. So um... there you go. There's a, there's a scientific paper in that. Why why are the sounds of pish? maybe that's like the proto bird language, which we haven't understood yet. <laughs> And is one of what is one of the things. It's like, oh, they're asking us about the meaning of life. That's interesting. I'm gonna find out about that. Yeah. It's funny because pishing is a very like age old birding tactic. Like people right. were doing it in like the sixties to try and get birds to hop out of bushes, even back then. Um Yeah. That's the other thing about I guess I I guess there's some thought about birding being a particularly kind of British occupation, although I, I've seen that, you know, there's global uh, birders and there's been quite a long tradition that goes back this century, but it seems to go back even further in kind of uh, in kind of nature writing. That is kind of uh, this long tradition of being close to nature and things. Um, and I guess there's also been a tradition of uh, nature writing uh, in this country, uh, continued by the likes of, I guess, uh, Robert McFarlane now and sketching back. I think we've had people like Roger Deakin talking about wild swimming uh, and things like that. Um, are there any uh, particular books or works that have inspired you? Because I know you're somewhat of a writer as uh, yourself. 
Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. Stephen Moss wrote a really interesting, uh, sorry, Stephen Moss, who is a nature writer, wrote a very interesting column in The Guardian maybe a year or two ago about nature writing and the British legacy of nature writing, because he was basically asking, in the UK, we have this really almost important tradition of nature writing, but is that now outdated and do we need something better to represent the British public? Um, Which I thought was very interesting, but in terms of... Be nature YouTubing. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but I think a really good example of like that new type of nature is um, Dara's book, um, Diary of a Young Naturalist, which obviously everyone adores and but with good reason it's a really good book and it's really beautiful and I think um most importantly sort of touching on what Stephen Moss was talking about is also really accessible um like it helps you to understand why he loves nature so much without the assumption that you are also an expert in nature or you have also spent your childhood wandering through the idyllic countryside you know and I think that's where things are going in the future. I, I also really love Stephen Moss's writing. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think um, nature plays an unusually strong role in sort of our sense of place and our sense of national identity within the UK compared to most other countries. And that's a very historical thing. Um, like not to go slightly off piste but during my A-levels I had to study various like Victorian poets and things like that and there was one that was um, like it was someone who was living in India and he had painted this like beautiful idyllic picture of the English countryside with the country manors and this rolling green fields and I was like that's what people think of when they think of the UK that image is so strong um within how we identify ourselves I guess even for people that never even been to the countryside yeah um, which yeah I don't really know why um but it's definitely a thing yeah and I think I mean talking about connecting to current and future generations you know through writing or through some new forms of writing it's definitely I think one way we could do that so definitely recommend those books um but I think you've helped um uh, edit or collate um, a, a book yourself recently with uh, a lot of other kind of uh, young voices uh, connected to nature. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I have a book coming out in September called We Have a Dream. And um, it was something I actually really loved writing. It was very special to me. And the idea was essentially um there are so many amazing young activists around the world especially young activists of color or young indigenous activists that are just not getting the platform and the promotion that they deserve for the amazing work that they do and that I wanted to um I suppose give them that opportunity to talk about the the work that they were doing and there was amazing range um of the types of things and there were people from literally all over the world Um, And so I spent about six months interviewing all of these different people and it was um, fantastic. And you went from like really great grassroots or what what was once a very grassroots project that has become very big. Um, Like um, there's a boy tackling deforestation via football in Kenya um, to like very broad 
um, sort of system changing projects like um, uh, Autumn Peltier in Canada, who's fighting for Indigenous people's rights and especially uh, to do with water. Um, and I don't know, it was just amazing to speak to all of these young people about what they're doing because they're all so inspirational and a lot of them are like younger than me um and it was just yeah it was fantastic well now you know how other people feel when they look at you and you're younger than <laughs> all, of, all of these others is that's it there's always kind of someone younger than you and there's always someone who kind of knows knows more than you but that's uh but that's okay that's all good too um so do you have a do you have a particular maybe process uh as a writer what does kind of a good writing day uh uh look for you um i think honestly like writing because I'm, I'm also writing another book at the moment which is much more of a traditional like book but writing this book we have a dream um was actually a really pleasant experience um in that it was very structured and i was literally just recording the Zoom interviews with people because, you know, we're living in the age of COVID, um, recording these Zoom interviews with people and typing up a profile about them afterwards. And um, I guess the most difficult thing really was like reducing these amazing conversations down to like... Just a few hundred words. Or... <laughs> yeah, because these people were fantastic. Um, but I think in terms of what a day in the life, like in terms of writing looks like, very messy, very disorganised. Um, writing whenever I have the time or the energy basically which can be all over the place I have um, actually just the once but I have jumped out of bed one morning being like I'm gonna write now um, but more common I've also stayed up very late suddenly with the energy um, to write so it's I don't know it's been a, a really nice experience very different um, great and then on non-writing days, I guess, what does a typical uh, kind of birding day uh, look look for you? Do you sort of get out and you've got a, a place to go to and some uh, birds on a list or an idea of what to of what to spot? And um, are you out there for a few hours with binoculars or eyes and things? And, and how does one of those days look? Um, I think it's totally flexible depending on what the goal is like not to be annoying but I think so quite often in lockdown I've been doing a lot more like bird watching so just going out on a walk for half an hour for a few hours um just walking through you know fields and woods and stuff seeing whatever birds I happen to stumble across um which I didn't do that as much before lockdown I think that that's definitely something that I've grown sort of an enjoyment of a patience of much more than before um and I think that's more what I'm talking about when I'm saying how I feel like nature is very meditative and how it's very peaceful and things like that but there are also certain occasions where a very rare bird has turned up in the UK those are not peaceful days right. when my parents <laughs> are getting up like, like at like three o'clock you've got to go 100 miles this way yeah, yeah. drive across the country to catch this bird just as the sun is rising um and hopefully to see it immediately and to celebrate seeing this new bird um and that can take between a few hours two days there are occasions where we've gone back over and over to try and see a bird until we finally have so 
yeah like um like famous celebrity spotting but famous celebrity bird spotting <laughs> yeah, yeah basically great and you've had some great travel adventures because i think you've you've seen like loads of birds uh, around the world um i think i was reading did you did you go to east malaysia borneo once uh did you spot any birds there or did i i can't remember whether i misread that no you did i'm um i'm very lucky i've been to all sorts of countries i i've traveled quite a lot um for four birds which we, we travel for birds to see birds and anything else we do along the way is just an extra um so when i went to borneo malaysia i certainly did see an awful lot of birds actually it was um a wonderful trip and it was actually one of the except bangladesh it was the first time i'd ever bird watched in asia as well or ever really been to asia um and yeah, it was it was a really special experience. It was very different, um, but yeah, more more importantly, the birds were fantastic. Okay. <laughs> there was so much um, rainforest. Well, I ask because it's one of the places that I um, that I've been to. But I, I, when I was in Borneo, I think there probably were sort of birds in the jungle, and I remember one or two. But it's not it's not an element that um, that I particularly paid super attention to, and I kind of now wish that uh, that maybe I did. I do remember seeing. Um, it must have been some sort of bird of prey. I don't even know which one, but fly uh, across and catch a fish in the river in front of us. Okay. And that was that was quite a moment. Um, but it was also one of the trips for me that really understood um, how lucky I was, you know, having grown up in this country, because passing through particularly I was in some of the pristine jungle and around Kinabalu and, and places like that. Um, just incredibly poor and like in, in that time this was over 20 years ago you know there was there was no running water you know and you camped where you were you were sort of camping um and that, that was kind of uh, that was kind of quite a revelation for me I was um I was a late teen, I was probably about your age a late uh, teenager seeing that um I don't know how you feel having experience of those and talking with sort of activists uh around the world any, any observation on your kind of global uh, travels there um, I think, like, again, sorry, slightly off piece, but important, like something that um, was really important in terms of sort of the creation of black nature um, was definitely like traveling and going to other countries, because it gave me a much broader, much more international perspective in terms of getting people into nature, how British people think about nature, um why people aren't getting into nature and something that was particularly um significant to me was I went on a trip to Bangladesh um and I met so many Bangladeshi birders naturalists um environmentalists campaigners who all really loved and cared about nature and the environment and there wasn't a single one in the UK and that was the moment where I realized that this wasn't like an international issue. Bangladeshi people don't just magically not care about nature. There is something very broad and very systemic going on within the UK or within Europe. And I think that that was definitely a massive turning point for me in terms of going about setting up black nature. Um, and I think like more on a general point, um, that international perspective almost always comes into play when I'm talking about the issues that I care about. Um, like one thing within the UK that I'm very aware of is biodiversity loss. 
um, purely because I have been lucky enough to go to other countries and it has absolutely put into perspective how little biodiversity and how little nature we have left in the UK, um, which is one of the reasons that I personally feel like biodiversity loss is such an extreme issue. Um, I also talk quite a lot about indigenous people's rights and indigenous people and try to amplify indigenous people's voices in terms of the climate change movement and the environmental movement and conservation partially because again I have been lucky enough to go and visit these places and go and see their projects in action um and I've actually I became an ambassador for the organization Survival International which advocates for Indigenous people's rights against conservation organizations because that is such a big issue in and of itself. Um, yeah. yeah, I was reading there's a there's a big project called Project Drawdown, which looks at and some of the world's um, climate solutions and they sort of list, um, you know, a, sort of 50 or 100 of them, of which one of the most important is actually defending uh, indigenous land rights. If the indigenous people look after their land and have done um, much better uh, than than usually um, other owners of land. So by giving them back their land rights, that's actually a huge uh, positive climate solution um, that we could look towards. So um, maybe final uh, question or so uh, um, wrapping up is what other projects uh, for the year or looking forward that you're kind of excited about? So we have your book, we have your podcast, we have an another book coming up and you're you know, ambassador for various things. Uh, anything else you'd like to highlight? I think like genuinely the most well I guess there's two things like firstly um Black Nature is going really well we've gotten loads of funding to run camps this summer partially because of coronavirus and lockdown and the effect that's had on people and we're going to be running so many camps this summer summer and I'm very excited about it um so I think that that's going to be great like we're going to be working with kids from London for the first time and things like that um, and running longer camps um, but I think on like a more personal level the thing I'm most excited for this year is genuinely just going to university in the autumn because um, I've been on a gap year this year and I've been doing lots of working and stuff um, but I, you know same as everyone I've been in lockdown um, and I'm I don't know I'm just really excited to go off and study and to live in a new place and all that sort of thing um, and that's in October so um, yeah, lo lots to look forward to this year. Great. That sounds amazing. So uh, do everyone uh, look out uh, for her book. We'll put links uh, below. Um, Black to Nature as well, um, if you're interested in any of the work um, that Maya's doing around that. And uh, get birding um, for uh, the podcast as well, if you want to find out any more about birds. So it uh, just leaves me to thank you very much. It was really great to speak to you and I wish you all the best in all your future endeavours. Thank you so much. It was lovely to speak with you. Great. Thanks. Bye.